On today's episode, Dave interviews comedian Tanya Lee Davis. Tanya Lee has appeared on David Tell's Insomniac Tour, Live at the House of Blues, and most recently, Dr. Drew. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. So I was talking about the, the blog that you had a, a few, you had three, and it seems like this good thing happening, this bad thing happening, and then this good thing happening. And then you know what, it's just because I got my website redone, and I'm not exactly happy with it, and I, I don't, <laughs> this is a problem, I don't really know how to go back, and, and I, I wanted to update and do a new blog, and I can't figure out how to do it. So oh, I see. It's just a matter of me just going, I need somebody to work me through this WordPress thing again and figure out how to, because I actually wrote an entire new blog out. And I'm like, how, why is this not posting? Right. So, and the guy that's doing my website is not exactly the most uh, uh, handy guy to help me out. So I Yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what? But I, Facebook is kind of my thing where people like live vicariously through me um, <laughs> and my travels and trials and tribulations you know that's really how do you keep positive about it all because it uh, looking at uh, your, uh, the one thing that got me is last year was my fourth anniversary of my leaving my wife mm-hmm. and um, I looked at that and I, 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 I'm only bringing it up because I read about right. yeah. y- about your marriage mm-hmm. uh, ending and there's there's a did it take you a long time to get through that well, I think I'm still kind of dealing with it. I mean, it was my decision, and uh, the big thing was our 17-year age difference. And when I was in my 20s, I needed somebody more mature to sort of deal with me, my situation. Uh, now that I'm in my 40s and he's pushing 60, he's not taking care of himself and i'm in i feel like i have a new lease on life like i'm i'm digging 40s i feel like i really know who i am right i am very adventurous i'm no fear i want to travel the world i but trying to get my husband off the couch to go to walmart was a chore right and he has a heart condition and type 2 diabetes he has medical insurance which i don't mm-hmm. um he has va insurance he, he's here he's in las vegas uh-huh. and we did live in la for seven years and then we were in vegas for seven years how long are you married uh 13. i was married for 14 years yeah yeah and uh last year i had my own show in vegas for six months so i was home quite a bit and i so i could see that he well, what's going on? Why are your ankles swelling? Like, right. you have type 2 diabetes. You can't be, you know, and then it turns out when it all came out in the wash, he had been lying to me for 17 months about, about going to the doctor. He, what had happened, he had, had a heart, heart procedure done and he got some bills. Didn't open them. He thought there was two bills. Um, hid them. And for 17, and because he didn't pay, turns out it was one uh, bill. The other bill was paperwork. Uh-huh. Uh, saying if you can't fill, you know, pay this, we'll help you. Um, uh, he hid them and uh, didn't, and because he didn't make any payments, they refused to see him. So he just lied to me about going to the doctor. I'm like, you can't mess with type two diabetes. No, you can't. And I just broke it's not my like heart. rosacea. Yeah, it, it just broke my heart, and right. I and I I laid the shit down basically and just said, this is, you know, you need to get it together. I'm leaving. I'm going to move out for a couple months. You know, and um, at, in the meantime, this is the as somebody else came into my life, um, and my ex-husband blamed it all on that other person. Which right. you know, that other person kind of gave me insight on, the, you know, what could you know having somebody to travel with, and we we were longtime friends, um, you know. But it, when it came all out, I'm not I'm 
not with that person. So I didn't leave my husband for anybody as right. much as he liked to blame right. everybody else but himself. Well, that's that's one of the things that I mean. It seems like you've taken charge of, and I, I don't know your I don't know your background exactly, and I'm curious. Uh, I'm excited to to find out. But you've taken charge of your happiness. Yeah. It seems to me that just watching your stand up, the way that you approach. And the public, which is such a weird thing to say, but the way that you, you, your voice in the public, you walk into a room and it, it seems like you put people at ease. The one thing that got me was that one video of you on getting on the bus in London. Was <laughs> that in London? Uh, yeah, I think there was a couple of them. We did one was in Exeter, which is outside of about two hours outside. You look like a stand-up routine. Yep. It well, it was a campaign. Uh, I work a lot in the UK, and um, I'm part of a group called Abnormally Funny People. Right. And we would do corporates and campaigns and stuff. And it, it basically we did this thing called the uh, I think it was called Gojo campaign. Yeah. I think it's defunct now, but it was to encourage disabled people to ride the bus. Mm -hmm. And the, the crazy thing is, is because I have a mobility scooter, right. I don't use a wheelchair, I use a mobility scooter just to get me from point A to point B. My scooter is not considered a wheelchair in the UK, so I am constantly being told I can't get on buses and trains. Right. So there I am, a part of a campaign to encourage people to use public transport, yet I'm constantly denied, which I just takes me off to no end, but I mean, it's gotten better in the in the um, nine years I've been going over there. But. I would also think that that just that attitude that, that what you just what you just shared with me, um, and then to to see your husband sitting there must have just knowing the 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 energy that that you have put in in order to make your life better, and to look at somebody and go, what is hat? What what? Yeah, exactly. I know. I mean, I you know, I if you if you look at it in the same, in the way that yeah, I struggle with adversity kind of on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Yet I put myself out there, and I'm willing to live life to the absolute fullest. And then somebody that has medical and is quite capable of 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 you know changing you know their their health you know for the better and not willing to do it. I can't. Eh. Did my head and just right. frustrated me. And I, and the thing is, he was a great husband. He was so good to me. Uh -huh. He's a lovely man. I got nothing bad to say other than he's stubborn as hell. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. And you can only do that for so long. Yeah. You can only go at that for so long. Right. That was what happened in my marriage. Yeah. Was, was it was just it went on for too long. And for me, it was arguing. It was we just argued and argued and argued yeah, and argued. And it's like I don't want to argue anymore. I can't argue anymore because I don't even know what we're arguing about. Right. And then you wake up in the morning and you go, oh. I'm living in dread. Right. And with the person that's supposed to be your best friend, your right. like your partner and and that's the last person you should be constantly like, not want to be around, you mm -hmm. know, like you should be happy. So yeah. you, you should be happy. That's and and uh, and you were saying that you you did you use the phrase just now struggle with adversity? Did you say that? Yeah, I mean Is that true? Well, I mean, that's, uh, I guess. Because you so, don't. It sounds so hokey. I mean, I do in the sense, like, you know, I just got carried up two flights of stairs. Right. You know, adversity in that sense, uh, you know, people's attitudes, that kind of thing is, is sort of a constant battle. Not so much in the U.S., but I work more in the U.K. and there, and I feel like I am beating my head against the wall. They're so in the 1800s with their attitude towards people with disabilities. Right. You know, and as much as I don't consider myself somebody with a disability, I'm labeled all the time. It's like, so you can't do that. Yeah, you can't go there. You're disabled. You're disabled. Where's your care? Why are you by yourself? Uh, why are you by yourself? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, because uh, I've got shit to do. That's why I'm by myself. But here's the thing. You've always been by yourself. Yeah. We're always by ourselves. Yeah. No matter what, we're always by ourselves. Yeah. So when you talk about that, that diversity or the struggle, it seems like, 
I don't, I don't mean for this to come out wrong, but it's like that's your existence. Yeah. And you have learned. You have learned. That's your existence. Yeah, I adapted. <laughs> yeah, you I don't adapted, know any different. But you can't, you can't do anything else but that. Right. And that's why it's hard when you see somebody that's that quite capable of doing the not. That, ah, right, right. You know, not just my husband. I just say anybody. I have friends that are kind of stuck in a funk or, you know, they, they self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had a lot more opportunities in their career that I, you know, I've been doing, stand, started stand-up 22 years ago. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I'm, I'm quite uh, happy with where I am. I, I, we always want to be a lot farther than we are. You know, I'd love to be getting more TV stuff, and I've had friends that have opportunities that come their way, and then they just kind of piss it away or they sabotage. And I'm like, oh, I would give anything for what that. What is it that makes those people sabotage those things? Um, just I think fear, maybe fear of success right. or whatever. Fear they of success. Yeah, which what is a crazy thing. I know, but I have a couple of friends that are like that, and it's they're a shame. afraid of success because they're afraid. I don't know. I'm, not, I'm not with worthy. them, but I look at them and go, "What is wrong with you? What's what?" I know. You never know what ba- you don't know. Know somebody's backstory on what makes them tick. Though. Clearly, the and you gotta look at them in that moment mm. for that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. so you got into stand up. Do you have siblings? I have one younger sister. A younger sister. Yeah. And she's up in Canada? Uh, yeah, just outside Vancouver. Yep. And, what city? Uh, and uh, Langley, British Columbia. Uh-huh. And then she's married and has uh, a son who just turned eight. And that's my, you know, my. I'm not going to have children of my own, so he's my little boy. Uh-huh. And I love him to bits. How um, often do you get up there? Um, I try to get up there every couple of months. Mm. I haven't been, uh, I popped in there in June, but I didn't get to see him or my sister. I just mm. popped in and, you know. Get my medical. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to spend the weekend with him this weekend. Looking uh, so when you got, how did you, how did you get, how did you fall into stand-up? Well, funnily enough, I mean, as a child, I was, I mean, even though I, you know, I got bullied and I was kind of introverted, I was still, when it came to school and, like, theatrical stuff, I was always putting myself out for school plays. And I, as a, at a young age, I just really wanted to be an actress. I would put my name on my chalkboard with a star, and I was like... But, and I even told myself, oh, you'll probably grow out of it. Like, every little girl, little boy wants to be an actor. Well, then, um, as I got older, I was like, no, I really... Like, acting is what I really want to do. And I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and not a lot of stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. So I was doing community theater... And I was in a Christmas production, and it was only two adults, myself and another guy, and then two children. And I played Perry the Penguin, and I was adorable. And I was the lead. I have the the walk down pat. (laughs) And the guy in the production, we kind of started dating, and he said to me one night, want to come to a comedy club? I never aspired to be a comedian, didn't even know about comedy. I grew up with, like, watching Mork and Mindy, Robin Williams, and I loved Robin Williams. I loved his physicality. Mm -hmm. I love... um, Danny, Kay, right. like those old-time movies. How about that? I oh, right? loved all of those. Like Laurel and Hardy. Mm. Loved all of that. I knew I loved to laugh. My parents were divorced. Uh, my dad kind of looks like Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And so I really kind of, I looked at Robin Williams and I thought of my dad all the time. My dad's a really funny guy. Everybody, and my grandfather, really funny. Um, so I get my sense of humor definitely from my paternal side. So when I went to the comedy club, this is my first time ever at a comedy club, and I watched the guy, this guy, on stage, and he just died on his ass. Like, he was horrible. And I knew what he was doing wrong. 
I just instinctively knew his timing was off, his material was crap, uh, he ran the light, and I'm like, you know, you know, and he's like, no, you gotta go on stage every night with new brand new material. I go, that doesn't make sense to me. You need sense, like you need to rework stuff. And he's like, oh, really, you think you can do this? Write some material, you're going up January 23rd. Nice. And that was about five weeks, and then boom, my first time I went on stage, I think three to five minutes, I had a Rolodex of things in my head of that somehow this will come in handy, you know, kids taunting me or whatever. My opening line was, hey, did you guys know there was a midget here? Yeah, I know. I walked in and everyone was like, wow, look at the midget. I was like, where? Okay, yeah. <laughs> not exactly golden, but it worked. <laughs> well, it, it, what you were saying in one of the video, the, the one of the videos there, it's like just get to it right away. Yeah, address it. Address the, it the, right away. The dwarf elephant in the room. Well, right, 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 right. <laughs> address it right away. There's there's, there's an, an amazing confidence that you have that's really inspiring. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that you were saying that that you drew a star on a chalkboard, you know, with your name on it yeah. when you were a kid, and. You never, it seems to me, like, how, how old are you and your folks divorced? Uh, five and a half. Uh, so you were, about six. I'd you were young. You were yes, young. very young, very young. You were young. And it seemed, just listening to your story, there are a lot of things that, that you talk about adversity. There are a lot of things just physical aside right. that you could, that you could look at and go, wow, it's amazing that you it's it's amazing that you are where you are right now, mm-hmm. just looking at it. Right. Where does the confidence come from? I really don't know. I mean... Uh, did you always have it, or did you wake up one morning no, and go, fuck you know, those people? No, I think, to be perfectly honest, I really felt like a life change was stand-up. Like, it was getting on stage and doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. That really brought me out of my shell. Mm-hmm. That I ob- ob- obtained... Is that the right word? The, the confidence. And, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I... In a way, I must have been confident if I wanted to do acting and stuff before that, but I never really, you know how there's, you can kind of like look at your life in, in chapters and, and certain things that really change you mm-hmm. and, and, and lead you to the next chapter? I really think stand-up was one of those things that really just brought me out and put me out there because I'm so honest with everything on stage that um, my, my confidence really shone at that point and I was uh, just started university and you know my family was really pushing me go to university and I was like oh, all right well then I'm gonna study theater well I go in and they're like we're really studying theater and I'm like dang it I don't want to study I just want to perform right. and that's why when I saw stand-up I was like boom instantaneous I could, that's exactly what it's I it's so interesting because of all the things that you would do to to like if, you, if you're like on cheer of your confidence, stand-up would be way down there, you know, uh, and, and yet you jumped into that. I did. And in the moment that I did it, I was like, all right, this is so what I was meant to do. Isn't it great when you find the thing that you go, that's it? Yep. That's it. And it's funny, I was talking to my friend who I'm staying with here in L.A. She, last night, we were talking, because she's kind of, like, she's 35. She's like, I want to have babies. I want to, you know, like, she's just, like, can't find herself. And things keep going wrong. And I'm, I'm going to be 42 this year. And I'm like... You know, I, I wish I could get more sort of acting stuff. And I mean, I love doing stand-up, don't get me wrong. I love the traveling aspect, but it's taking its toll on me physically as well. Mm. I would love, and financially, I would love to land something. I don't need my own show. I would love to be an ensemble cast or something. Just be financially secure where you're not that con- That's one thing with stand-up. You just never know if you're going to get your no, next you gig. And 
you know, now I, I want to have the flexibility, financial flexibility where I can work, take time off, and have somebody find a partner uh, to travel the world with and do that kind of thing. Um, you know, and she's only 35, and she's having this sort of breakdown, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm 42, and I'm like, I can't quit now because I've been doing this 22 years. I don't know any different. Like, this is who I am, and I, well, I certainly wouldn't be happy if I, I, I go through a, a serious emotional like withdrawal and, and depression if I haven't been on stage. Like I can handle maybe a week or two. There's time when I wasn't on stage for a month. Oh my God, my husband's like, you need to get on stage because you are a bitch. You know, it affects me psychologically. Right. And I need that and I'll always need that or that release, whether it be acting or some sort of performance or expression or getting it out there. Um, I need that. That's the, There's just, I know that about myself. And that's probably all the way it's going to be till I well, die. There isn't any question. There's just no question. The idea of I, because I used to think, well, could I do something else on those on in those skids where you're in those areas where you think, oh my God, I'm not working right now. What if I don't ever work again? Whatever, okay. And then you fantasize about, and and I'm not using fantasy fantasy in a good way. I fantasize about, all right. So I get in my car and I go to this office, and I'm wearing a white shirt <laughs> and a blue tie, and I have a space, and we have lunch together. And I do the thing that then we're done at five, and I go, and I come home, and I take a gun, and I put it in my <laughs> mouth, and I pull the fucking trigger. And that's what I'm thinking about. Like, it, it, it always reaches the same point where I go, and then I get back in the car, and I come home, and then I shoot myself in the mouth. Right, right. You know? And it's like, oh, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't do anything I else. I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, I've got this... You know, vested. And the thing is, it's funny because I, I, you know, uh, I don't have the best relationship with my mom, but in her eyes, I'm still not successful. I mean, right. my sister's a pharmacist, married to a fireman, and has a lovely family. And my mom still thinks that they're like, you know, uh, and and me. It's like, well, I wish, really wish you would get something. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, I wish I could get a big break too. But you know what? I'm traveling around the world doing something I love. How many people can say that? It's so. And I'm getting right. paid fairly decent. You know? Right. Right, and the idea that other people looking at you, and, and this is something that, uh, that, I, that I think about, or I've thought about, it's something that hit me last year where I always heard the phrase, but I never got it until last year. And the phrase is this, what other people think of you is none of your business. And it is so freeing. And when you say what other people think of you, when I think what other people think of you is, whatever people think of me is none of my business, my family's included in that as well. Mm, I know that's and I think because that's the hardest one. If you can get... That's the hardest one, is to go, but my mom loves me and it's important. It's like, you know what? She thinks about you and then she does her own thing. And it has nothing, it, she, of course she wants you to be happy. Right. But at the end of the day, you gotta be in charge of that. Right. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I think it's, well, <laughs> you gotta know my mom, but it's like, it, it, it's funny how, uh, you know, my mom's friend, she's part of the bridge club and all this kind of, my mom's a bit pretentious for her own good. Um, it, it's like, uh, she'll be like, uh, oh, what am I, bridge lady saw you on TV the other day and I was like, that's my girl. And I'm like, in the meantime, I'm getting the constant criticism of, ah, you know, what are you going to get? Some? What are you going to do? Yet, as soon as one of her friends has seen me on TV, it's like, oh, look at me. Look oh, at no, me. That's I know. my girl. That's my girl. I'm like, yep. And um, I, my, my dad would look at me and say, uh, what is it you're doing with your life until I got into Second City? 
And the moment I got into Second City, it was like, that's my boy. Can you get me and my buddy tickets? It's like, <laughs> sure, Dad, I guess if you want that. Right. But it, it requires that, that turn where they go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm. Now, your mom's deal is your mom's deal because she's yeah. also looking at you. You know, she's looking at you from such different eyes. Right. Like she's not with you at all. Right. Nope, not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> and when I say with you, I mean physically with you and obviously emotionally she's not uh, she she's 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 not as evolved as you are. Right. right. But you're more evolved than I think probably 90% of the of the universe because you're you're so, you're so independent it seems. Yep. Oh, Is, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I that there are certain things in this world that most things that most things in this world are a challenge to you physically. Right. And yet you've got this attitude <laughs> that is just ridiculous in a good way. Right, yeah. Well, it's just, like you said, I, I, don't, I don't know any different. And I right. just, I'm not one for sitting back no. and letting the world pass me by. I, I, I'll, I'll get my little funks. I'll get in my, you know, woe is me kind of moments. But that only lasts a very short time. And then I go, all right, get over it, Davis. We're on the move again. We've got shit to do. And that's just the way I am. I have to be that way. I can't, like, my ex was like, oh, you, you just got over me so quickly. And it's like, well, no, emotionally I haven't quite, but I, that's the way I had to deal with it. I need to deal with things head on, and then I can deal with it. Am I, I not be happy with the situation? Right. Like, even, like, you know, dating or whatever, like, uh, you know, just if, if there's a lapse in communication or with somebody that you're with, I'm like, listen, can we just deal with what's going on? Is there an issue? And if you want to break up with me or whatever, fine. Let me know now because I just need to cry for two days and then I need to get my shit together right. and, and deal with it. And that's the way I am. And as cold as that may sound when you're in a relationship with somebody, that's how I deal with stuff. And um, because I just... You know, I mean, I just, I, last week I did the San Francisco comedy competition, mm -hmm. and I made it to the semifinals, and, you know, I really wanted to make the finals. I was putting every bit of energy, and I was the only chick in it, um, wow. and I lost by point two in the top, to make the top five, and I was gutted, and... You what? Just, like, gutted, like, uh -huh. I, you know, like, oh, dang it, and I was really bummed out, because it was, it was psychologically for 10 days, it was up and down, and I, you know, just getting into the semifinals, I clawed from, like, you know, eighth or whatever place to the top five, and I made it in, and, you know, so not making the top five when a couple of people, I don't think I should have gone in, gone in, you know, um, like, just because I've been doing this for so long, um, you know, I, I was really bummed out for a couple of days, and but then that's, you know, everybody on Facebook is like, oh, you're the best, we, you know, like, I have such a great fan base of friends and, and strangers, uh, you know, giving me, uh, you know, positive energy, and I'm like, okay, just, just so you know, people, this is how I deal with it, don't worry, I, you know, we'll be back to regular schedule programming momentarily, <laughs> I just need to have a lapse and, you know, an emotional breakdown for a day or two. And now, boom, moving on. You know, and it's like I didn't get that. The show started last night, but then Monday I get a call or a Facebook message from a producer saying, hey, remember me? We worked on, he, I was on Maury Povich uh -huh. uh, many, many moons ago, and now he, this guy's working on um, Dr. Drew's show on Headline News, mm -hmm. HLN, and he's like, we want to bring you on the show because I love the fact that you deal, the way you deal with shit. Right. And, 
So here I am. I'm just like, I didn't get the finals, but now I'm going to be on TV tomorrow. Not, you know, I, I look boom. at so many of those situations and I think, you, you can look at it initially and go, oh my God, that screwed up thing happened to me and I can't believe it. And while you're thinking that like life is going on and you're missing all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of my students uh, said to me yesterday, um, I said, uh, 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 I, teach, I teach at uh, Cal State Fullerton, I teach, um, I'm, a, I'm a, vis a visiting professor, visiting lecturer there, whatever. And uh, most of my classes are about uh, presentness and mindfulness and being aware and not holding on to anything and oh, cool. letting it go. The moment that it happened, go, that happened, and then mm. move away, walk away. It. And this woman said, I had, uh, I said, so what, what went down? She goes, I really experienced the that happened aspect of what happened. She said her car was towed. And she's a student, and her parents had to pay for the car being towed. And I said, "Great, that's fine." So what else? So what thing happened that wouldn't have happened if your car wasn't towed? And she said, "I get to spend three hours with my dear friends who I never get to spend time with." And you go, "That's it." There you go. That's it. Now you can say things happen for a reason, or you can say um, things happen. Mm -hmm. That happened to you. And then this other thing. I want to address something that you said about your, uh, your ex-husband saying, um, I can't believe how quickly you got over it or how whatever, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. words he used. It's interesting to me because you didn't get over it quickly. You were digesting it while you were in it. Mm -hmm. So that when, when you said no more, you had already experienced all the things that you needed to experience yeah. prior to that. He just wasn't with you. Right. Does that make sense? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, and I mean, it, to him it seemed like it came out of left field, but in the whole scheme of things, like when I was, because I travel so much, I'd be home for a month and then gone for a month. Right. So I'd come home and be like, I love you, I miss you, I miss you, let's spend time together. Then by the end of like three and a half weeks, I'd be like, oh my God, I can't wait to go back on the road, you're driving me crazy. Right. And that happened all the time. And But because we kept having the, like me gone, me home, me gone, then being home, in Las Vegas with my show and being home and home and home, the tension and everything was starting to build up and right. then I could see like all the medical problems and that's when I was like, oh, and I flew to Florida where my dad and his wife were and I said, this is what's going on. My dad's like, you tell him if he doesn't do this, this, and this, and this, um, you're gonna leave him. So I come home, do that and of course give him some time. None of it's done. I leave. My dad's like, what'd you do that for? <laughs> He's only that way because you left him and I was like, what? No, 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 Are you no, kidding? no, right, Thank no, you. no, right, oh. right. So then no. all of a sudden my family turned on me. They're like, oh yeah, Marty's a hot mess and then I leave and they're like, what'd you do that for? Right. Because everybody thought Marty was the one that kept being together and he, he was a great husband and he did so much for me and emotionally my soft place to land. I've got nothing but great things to say. But it's funny how people thought um, he was the one that kept me going when in fact now because he's absolutely imploded that they're like, wow, you're the one that has actually been keeping his life. He needs somebody to keep him structured because he just is jelly otherwise. Right. And that's, you know, and I have no problem doing that, but I need some help. Like if you're, you gotta be on board with helping yourself. You've um, gotta be on board with helping yourself. And he wasn't. Do you do your own booking? 
For the most, yeah, I don't have an agent in North America. I do have in the UK because uh, I need a work permit, and uh -huh. so I have a great manager over there. Uh, but when I, I lived in LA, tried to get management, and they're like, "Well, you know, you, we also do acting stuff, and we don't. There's not enough parts for somebody like you, mm -hmm. so therefore." And I'm like, "Well, why don't we make some parts? Right? You know, like, hello, have some vision. Why are these people in the industry just don't have the vision? Like, the marketing the potential right now with me is phenomenal, but." I get, like, I was, we were just talking in the car up here, like, this booker um, at a club out in the like, Arkansas area, there's four clubs, I sent him my hour-long DVD, and uh, he's like, nah, no, we don't think we can use you. It's like, what? I mean, honest to God, I, I put on a damn good show. If my audience is 45 minutes in, and I'm doing an hour, and they're still engaged, that's a sign of a good comedian. But you're dealing with Arkansas. Well, I'm yeah, I'm just yeah. But you know what I mean. But, but that's a big a thing too. There's a lot of bookers out there that have that. I had a guy in Pittsburgh say, "I'm not going to book you because I had a guy with cerebral palsy. I booked him, and the audience didn't like him, so I don't think they'll <laughs> like you." <laughs> what? Hello, watermelons and fucking grapes? Are you kidding me? It's more like watermelons and trash can containers. Yeah, it's insane. But that's the kind of shit I'm constantly up right. against that frustrates me. That I I have to go. All right, let it go, let it go. Because again, that's it has nothing to do with you. And the, the thing is that you've got a drive. You have a drive that you want, and these fuckers are in your way. And you're going, okay, narrow thinking, but that narrow thinking can't stop you from your evolution, right. from your unfolding, unfurling, and evolving. Yep. That can't stop you. What ends up happening, I think, so often is people say, oh, the world is against me. It's like, if you think so, if you think the world's against you, you know what? The world's against you. Right. But it doesn't make it so because you say it. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, uh, and everybody has something that they're fighting against. Mm -hmm. And it's usually their ego. <laughs> you know? And that's the main thing. To say that I can't do that or I won't do that or whatever. When you were growing up, you probably had no idea that you, well, maybe you did have an idea of what your potential was. Because for me, I look at it and go, you know, it took me a long time to say, wait a minute, I have a voice and mm -hmm. I am strongly opinionated right. and I am, I, I'm a motivator. Yeah. I, I, I don't like have a sort of a, a vivid memory of saying that, you know, just, but... I just, I'm not religious at all, but I just believe there's a plan for me, whatever out there in the universe. I just, I honestly believe that I'm doing it, like the whole thing happened for a reason thing. Like I just, certain things in my life have just worked. I mean, the last year was so hard with the divorce, but this year I've been to eight countries traveling uh, between February and July. I, you know, I got to do my first tour in Japan. I got a TV series in the UK. Um, that you're writing on and performing uh, on? Yep, That's yeah, that, a hidden uh, camera show called I'm Spasticus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did yeah. that, we just got picked up for another series Shut for up. next year. But it's what, different over there, right? Yeah, yeah. Financial. Four episodes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's certainly not life changing, but it's right. a, you know a good experience. It's nice I, to work. I just I just uh, uh, they call it a support act for a guy named Frankie Boyle, who's one of the biggest acts in the UK, Scottish guy, and I got to work uh, just happened circumstance I got to do four shows with him uh, 3,000 plus theater so that got me really good exposure you know like just this year thing like even this podcast thing and the and the Dr. Drew thing like uh, yeah, as uh, all the crap I went through last year like this year I, I just and I, I don't live anywhere right now I'm just going from gig to gig but I felt like that's what I needed to do I needed to put it out to the universe and go all right I'm not living anywhere um, I'm gonna just well, just lead me where I need to go, right. and then um, 
when it comes to the point where I need to settle down or I find somebody I want to settle down in one location with, fine. But until then, I'm kind of happy being a bit of a gypsy. You're not kind of happy. You're happy. I'm very happy, actually. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like that. Because people always say, I'm kind of happy. I'm sort of happy. It's like, you know what? You're happy. Yeah. Just embrace the happiness because that's what drives you to that next thing is to go, okay. And then I look at you and I go, that's a happy person. And you know what? I want to work with that person. All right, all right. Yeah. And that's what ends up happening. Mm -hmm. So I look at this, you know, I look at the podcast that we have, and I also look at the work, the people that come and sit in that chair. And, and one of the things that's important to me is to have the person sitting in that chair be a positive person. Right. And be a person that looks at their life and says, I cannot believe where it is that I am, and I feel blessed. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not a religious person either. Yeah, yeah. But I agree with you that there, I don't know that there is a plan, but I do know that there's a path. Yeah. And I always know what my path is. I, I, I always know where it is that I am. I may not know where I'm going next, mm -hmm. but damn it, I'm happy right here, right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I was going through my divorce, it was just an amazing, uh, it was an amazing experience. The experience mm -hmm. of people coming up to you and going, you're gonna be okay. Yeah. Or people coming up to you and saying, get out, mm -hmm. get out, you're out. And knowing that's just their opinion. I don't have to take it. Right. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's been a, a crazy uh, 13 months since I, you know, left Las Vegas and, mm -hmm. and, and divorced. Where did you live in Vegas? Uh, where, where? In Vegas? Uh, like Flamingo Rainbow Air, West Side. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I love it. I, I love Vegas. And my stuff's still in Vegas at my best friend's uh, garage. And we, they may be moving into a new house and I might just rent a room for, right. you know, uh, so then I do kind of have a home base. Uh, I love you know, moving, living in LA, I lived here for seven years, and then when we moved to Vegas, I met more amazingly uh, amazing people in the six months living in Vegas that are genuine friends than the whole seven years in LA because it's just so hard to meet people that are here. not so Hollywood. Like, what can you do for me? What can, you know? And now I used to hate coming to LA, but now I've got a lot better friends that are living here that I have no problem coming back and and. Uh, you know, soaking in the whole LA I don't scene. meet those people. I just don't meet those, hey, what's happening? What's oh, going on? Really? I, I don't meet those people. <laughs> and, and maybe it's because I don't, <laughs> I don't get anything out of those people. Yeah. But I don't meet the schmoozes, hey, what's happening? You know, that. Oh, I, don't I hang out with comics. <laughs> I think that that's a different thing right there entirely, right. the idea of hanging out with comics because there's, um, uh, well, you know this better than I do, but there, there's a stink of desperation on many of those comics sitting back. And I love it. I don't remember who said this, but uh, somebody, somebody said, uh, a comic watching another comic, a comic in the back room watching another comic kill, uh, or just... And, and the comics sitting here is going, that's funny. Mm -hmm. And that's their expression of something funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's hard. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. funny. And it's like, can you get excited? Can you laugh? Right. When was the last time a stand-up laughed at another stand-up? Because like, improvisers, that's my background. Yeah. Im that's my, you know, improvisers will go, great move. Love what that guy did. Sitting doctor, I can't believe it. Right. And you may have, a, certainly when you're younger, a tinge of, why, why am I not that good? But... The sooner you let that go, right. the more stuff comes but, in. And that's exactly it. Like in our, in my career and, and being around comedians, it's so easy to see people that all of a sudden sort of jump the queue where they came out onto the scene and didn't have to do like the whatever 15, 20 years of road dog Ugh. stuff that I've done. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, land a TV show. And you're like, you little bastard, you right. just totally jumped the queue. Right. But it's like, I can't, 
I can't get all bitter about that. I just have to go, yeah, you know what? There's still a place for me. I got something unique to bring to the table. And at some point, somebody's going to recognize this shit and what a gold mine this is. Clearly. And Listen to you. Just, damn it. It's a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it's about. You have and to those think that people way. have those that thing. You understand? Those people have those that thing. And you have your own those that thing that brings you to this. Mm -hmm. I remember when. Uh, I remember when. Uh, Chris Farley was uh, at this little theater that I was at, not a little theater, I.O., it was called Improv Olympic in Chicago, and he went from Improv Olympic to Chicago to the main stage of the Second City. Boom! Yeah. And people went, what the? And then you watched him, you went, of course. Of course, of course. Right. Bonnie Hunt, boom, of course. Right. You know, and then you got somebody, uh, I think Winnipeg's own, uh, Nia Vardalis. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I think you're she, right. Yeah, yeah. You're and right. she's a friend of mine, and Fantastic. she worked her ass off, but she's like you in that... There's a positivity about it where she's able to go, uh, I'm, I'm going to do this. Yep. I'm going to do this. And there's never a thought of, how do you do that? Or what do you do? Or what, what if this doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? Why do you want to bring that into your world? You just can't. You just got to keep forging forward and go, at some point, it's going to get recognized. The hard work. And, you know, uh, being a female comedian is, is rare and there's all this you know, hubbub about our female comedians are not funnier than men and blah, 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 and all this kind of shit. And it's like, you know what? I just do what I do. And I know bookers think, oh, you talk too much about being a little person or a midget. You've got midget blinders on. And it's like, who gives a shit if I talk about goats for 45 minutes? Right. If I'm still, my audience is engaged, then that's, that's where I'm at. My Vegas show was 75 minutes of me, boom, right off the hop. It was storytelling. Um, I took highs and lows. And at the end of it, like, I took these people on a journey and they learned my life and what makes me tick from my childhood to where, you know, where I was at the time. And people were fascinated by it. Right. And I'm like, why can't these bookers see that I really, because I am so personal with my life and my material, that I really do have something to bring to the table, something new and the audiences appreciate that. Right. And, and you appreciate that. Oh, love it. And you look at that and you're not judging like, why can't my material be this or that or that or that? I'm not going to compete for the same bullshit material that some, you know, generic white guy. Those guys, I've got, this is it. This is, this is a gold mine. I keep saying it. It know. is a gold mine. And yeah. I think that so many people look at themselves and go, ah, or the idea of you've got to have hardships in your life in order for you to be in comedy. I don't believe that. Do you believe that? I think a lot of good comedy comes from pain and, and stuff like that. But you it, comes change. From, it, it does, but it comes from you realizing that you, go, you overcome the pain. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I have one of the my best bits, which I love doing right now, which uh, has nothing really size-related. I have the best shit story you can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and it's quite detailed. It's about a 10-minute long bit, and it's like I literally exploded at a comedy club in the restroom before I was just about to go on stage. Mm -hmm. And, oh my God, I every time I talk about it on stage, it takes me to that moment. I got the shit smell in my nose. Right. I am mortified. I couldn't talk about it for years. It happened nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And then my best friend, when we were drunk on Christmas Eve or whatever one night with a bunch of them, tell them how you shit yourself at the, you know, and I was like, oh my God, so I had to tell the story and they were killing, you gotta yeah. do that on stage. Right. I'm like, how could I possibly talk about this on stage? You know what, when I started my Vegas show and I put that in, my all my guys in my theater are like, Jeff Foxworthy has his redneck stories, so-and-so's got this, you've got your shit story, that's gonna make you famous. And everybody's got a shit story, that's what I found. I have a shit story it. and, and I've, I've told it on stage. 
Uh, How could you deny those things that are within your life? But but you but looking at that at that bit for a long time, you're holding on to it and you're harboring uh, it, and it's like you know what? I'm going to tell you this story. But that's what makes you human. That's what makes you personal. That's what makes you. That's what draws me to you. And it's what you were, your comment about um, the typical white guy thing. Like that's that guy's not going to tell that story because right. he's got something to hide. He feels he has something to hide. He feels that his pro, his ego is going to be, people are going to think differently of him. Mm -hmm. But what we're able to do is to look at what we do and go, you know what? We're all human. We're living on this planet. We, oh, for, for the most part, the Canadian culture, the American culture are very similar. Our cultures are similar. Let's, this is way, this is it. This yep. is it. And everybody's got a shit story. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody's got a shit story. Everybody, everybody's got a story where they're humiliated. And I use those stories and go, here we go. Here we go. You may think of what I am as something, but you know what? I'm the same as you. Mm -hmm. I'm the same. And that's what you got too. The idea of I'm the same as you. Uh, the, I, I don't know if you're still doing it, but the the white chick, black chick, white oh, chick. Oh, I'm a white, biracial, I'm a yeah. white girl, I'm a black girl. Oh, right. yeah, that's still my, it's right. such a, I mean, yeah. My, but there's, but there's, my there, signature there's, a there's a humanity about that. There's something that we all understand about that. Right, right. Yep. That That is a common, that's the common denominator. Now, your shit story can be looked at as lowest common denominator. Mine isn't because of the way that I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. Yours isn't probably because of the same way. Yeah, because definitely. it's not about getting the laugh just to get the laugh. It's about... Uh, it's the imagery, the storytelling aspect of it. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, people go, did that really happen? I'm like, you can't make that shit up. No. It is, and that's why it is such a great bit because I'm in the moment and I don't even have to embellish at nope. all. No. And, oh, it's horrific. No. You know, but I feel like I need to get it out there before the women that were in the bathroom that ended up being in the front row at my show wow. that saw it all happen. Oh, I had to get it out there before they're going to sell it to the National Enquirer. <laughs> you know, like, I just like, oh, I'm beating you to the punch there, bitches. Just, oh, God. So what do you, like, right now you're doing this, uh, uh, I'm Spasticus, yep. right? I got that right. Um, you're doing that, <laughs> oh, I'm Spasticus, I'm Spasticus. Um, you're writing on it? Well, yeah, where it's funny because the way they did the credits is like Jamie O'Leary, who's the executive producer and cast under writing. And I was like, I want my name under the writing. Yeah. But yes, I'm technically supposed to have a writing credit. And uh, unfortunately, because the way they ended up filming, they filmed for three months, but I was I flew over just for a week and mm -hmm. I only filmed for four days. So I'm only in like one skit per episode, two skits on one of them. Uh, but you know, pretty funny skits, so um, I'm hoping the next series they can give me enough time to be over there for, for more stuff, so. What is it that the UK, ha what allows you to work there that, that what allows you to work at, at, at the frequency that you do work there that the, the states don't have? Well, this is what I love about the UK. As much as it does my head in for the the uh, backlash of you know, oh my God, you're disabled, being told how disabled I am on a daily basis. Um, when I became part of Abnormally Funny People, and those people gave, became my friends, and I started to learn about all the what to do and how to get around and stuff like that, the infrastructure of the entire UK with dealing with trains and attitudes, I started to become a little bit more British. So it was like more like fuck you, I can do this. Um, when it came to comedy-wise, 
they're so like, I mean, you, it's like when I get up on stage and they're like, <sighs> they're so physically like, oh my God. And you know, people have turned their chairs away from me and they're like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. I'm so uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're going to do this shit. Yeah. And it's like, I'm here and I'm not going away. And right. I, I, now that's how I address it. I go, I get, I get it. You're right now. That. You're so uncomfortable. You're so, you're not oh, sure. Oh, look at that. that. Right. And I go, I got this shit. Don't worry, nobody's making me do this. I am doing this. Right. And you're gonna have to deal with it. And I really love that. I, I, I'm really like challenging them right now. And the great thing about comedy over there, the problem with the US, and because I've been out of the sort of the US scene, I'm not getting booked at a lot of clubs out here because it's all about TV exposure right. here. And if you're right. not on TV, you're right. not getting paid decent at the clubs, and it's just not worth a lot of the clubs right. being in the clubs here. In the UK, they don't give a shit what you've been on. It's no. not about, they don't do introductions. It, when I first came over, I'm like, tell them that I was on this and this, and they're like, what the hell, really? And they're like, no, we're not going to say that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I see now American or Canadian comedians coming over, and they're all like, well, I've been on this, and they're like, oh, we don't give a shit. We don't give a shit what you've been on. We want you to be funny now, and right. I love that. Right. I love that aspect. If you're a TV person over there, you don't do comedy clubs. You do theaters, right. and people are coming to see you. Comedy clubs, you're, everybody on the show is at the same level if you're working the big comedy chains over there, and it's not about um, I'm better than you or I'm the headliner because everybody's interchangeable on that ranking. Like You may open the show here and then go across the street and close the sh club over there, like it's, and this not this competitive, like can't work a club within a 60-mile radius because the UK is <laughs> 60 miles. You know, like, it's, it's, and I love that. And it's just be funny now. And but I still get people go, oh, yeah, you were really funny, but you made me really uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's your problem, not mine. That's clearly your problem, not mine. And that whole thing of like, like, I am in your face. I'm fucking right here, right now. And you got, you're looking at me. And nobody's, I love the idea of nobody's forcing me to do this. I am doing this, and then at the end of that experience, um, I would think that at the end of your set, people are gonna just look at you and see you, because you open yourself up to that. Yep, they'll still come up and go, oh, you shouldn't talk about your condition. Oh my God. <laughs> but it's, it sounds very British, though. But exactly, and, that's, and that's, this is where I go, all right, so me talking about how awesome my life is oh. makes you uncomfortable? Look at that, mm. right. Where's the issue? That's, That's fucking great. Problem. That is so great. Yeah. You saying how awesome your life is. Listen to that. Because they're, they're British, so they're like bitter and... But it's you also know, you being, you giving you the permission to say that to you, for you, about you. Yeah. And they can't get their heads around it because I think the way people over there, well, and maybe even some people here, they can't imagine their life in my shoes, right? So they can't imagine how I could be so comfortable with my body because when I'm on stage, I've got my boobs out, push-up bra, and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm working by talking about my ass and being sexy. And it's like, you know, they, they go, oh my, but you're deformed. How could you possibly love that? You know, because they couldn't imagine because maybe they're insecure about their own That's exactly what it is. But you said in, in, one of the, in one of the interviews, you said um, everybody has a body condition. Yeah. Everybody has an issue about their body. Yeah, everybody, yeah. And yeah. you address it in a way where, like, just the way that you address it, 
I mean, that's the, forgive the expression, but that's the embodiment of that. Right. And that's actually when, it, when I started doing stand-up, you know, I was, you know, growing up, you go through adolescence and early teens, and, and then, of course, your early 20s when you're trying to date, and guys my own age were all like, oh, God. You know, I had guys from high school going, oh, I really liked you, but there's no way I could ask you out because I just, what would people say? And I'm like, oh, really? You know, it's just that whole kind of uh, thing and, and immaturity and not realizing what people are about and, and, and you know, it's not all about physicality. Um, and when I started doing stand-up and I realized, you know, working whatever I got in the food, like the, the whole black uh, white girl thing came when I moved to L.A. Because when I was going through, the, like L.A. so physically, you know, superficial and it's all these women getting, or men and women getting all this Botox and all this shit done. When I came down here, I found like, Oh my God, it, it wasn't like, ooh, look at the mention. It was like, damn girl, look at that ass. And I was like, hey, I got, some, I got an ass suit. So that's how that came Baby's about. Baby's back. So, right, and it's like, thank you, Jennifer Lopez, for bringing the booty. Right. Because, um, you know, that because I got it, and I'm going to work that shit, and I'll put a sh- whatever I got up here, my back fat and the booty, and... <laughs> You know, it all in and, there. and that's it. And, yeah. and I think that I that's one of the aspects of my show I really like because, you know, women will come up to me and go, you know, that was awesome. Because, you know, I'm insecure, blah, blah, blah. And there you are, fucking working your shit and right. blah, blah, blah. You know, and yeah, I mean, back in the day when I was doing stand-up, I could, you know, after a show, I'd be offers for getting laid like crazy, you know, because everybody's got a fetish. But, um, you know, yeah, it's it's it's... Yeah, I like that aspect of my show with, um, you know, like, listen, work with what you got. We've all got flaws. We've all got insecurities, but everybody can be sexy. You just got to find it and bring it out. That's a major part of your, of, of your, of your set, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But once again, bookers will be like, oh, you're just talking about your size. And it's like, no, but look at the big picture. Look at the big picture I'm putting out there. Like, oh, how so often do you work in Canada? What's the deal up there? Like, how? I mean, like, like, uh, is it is it is it much different than than the American bookers? Bookers up there, people are. Well, booking. it's just the, th- the thing is with Canadian comedy, you have to go so far for little money. The right. money is not very good in Canada. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm an American act per se, because I've been living in the states so long, and go up, I I. I kind of ask for a little bit more money, and there's only a couple of clubs that'll that'll book me, you know. And there's a big chain up there, which I started off with Yuck Yucks, and they really try to, you know, they cr- grab acts when they're young or just starting out and try to sign them, and then they got control. And I never did that, right. and I still kind of do shows with them, but they, you know, they're just they're dicking me around. And so there's a couple of independent clubs, one uh, outside Vancouver, Laugh Lines Comedy Club, that's been amazing towards me. Um, and you know, they pay me a good wage when I'm there. They treat me well. Um, you know, you you got to stick with where your loyalty's at. And um, but I don't work that many clubs across Canada. I can't get booked at my home at the home club in my city, Winnipeg. The guy who's now I think 25 year old just took over, and I've been a year with him, going back and forth. And then I get a, oh, can you send me a list of eight clubs that you work? And I'm like, really? The fact that I had my own show in Vegas for six months means nothing. Right. What's this? I don't even know what an A club is nowadays. Like. Why don't you take based on my credits and my you know? Or to record, look at you to look at your your DVD and, and go. My are whole you, club in Winnipeg, I could totally.
totally sell that out because I don't get there very often. I have a huge, everybody I went to high school with is still stuck in that shithole. Right. So it's like, you know, you can leave Winnipeg. It's loud. Right. You know, I, but I don't understand why they, you know, oh, it's so frustrating. See, this is where I go, oh, I'll get over it. But no, you, you don't <laughs> have to get over it. I don't give a shit. You don't get over it. Um, because I feel that that passion, that, that, uh, uh, that frustration for those of you, for those of us, for those of us who know what to do with that feeling, that frustration drives us to something else. Mm -hmm. Because you go, you know what? I'm only going to bang my head against the wall for so much, so many times. Yeah. I'm only going to do that for a while. I'm going to do that. Oh, I'm going to bang my head against the wall. I was married for 14 years. <laughs> you know, I'm going to bang my head against the wall. But at one point, I'm going to go. Wait a minute. I don't have to live my life like that. So fuck you, 25 year old guy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, what I do need to do is just try to find a link to get a theater in Winnipeg mm -hmm. and sell out a theater and go, yeah, go screw yourself. You right. just lost out and I'm selling out a theater now. I just, you know, that's where I'm like, I need somebody on the backside to help me out with that. But mm -hmm. it'll, it'll come. Where are you going? So you leave, you, le you, you do Dr. Drew. Yep. And I'm going to go to Canada for the weekend um, and hang out with some friends. And then I'll go back to Vegas. You know, do laundry, repack, and then I'm heading off to the UK for three weeks. Where, what are you going to do there? Uh, I'm doing the clubs, club scene for three weeks, uh -huh. and then I'm in Florida for most of November. Um, my fa my dad and his wife live in Florida. Got so, it. What city I mean, do they live in? They, oh, God, Floral City, which has a stoplight. <laughs> Where is that? So it's between... Um, like if you've got uh, uh, Tampa and Orlando and mm -hmm. go up like that near Ocala. Got it. Uh, it's up uh, in Verness area, in the middle of nowhere. In the it's middle of nowhere. They used to live on the Gulf side, right on the water in the inland waterways, and then they sold my inheritance and bought some Hurricane Alley up there in the middle of fucking nowhere. So right. like, I'd never go visit anymore. But um, I don't even like it up there. I mean, I do like it up there. I, I work in Orlando, I've worked in Miami, I like that, but you get me out of there and it's like, you know what? They don't like Jews. <laughs> They're not crazy about Jews up there. And it's like looking around going, wow, wow. There's just, uh, mm -mm, no, no. Well, when the club that I started, a sort of like Coconuts Comedy Club, um, you know, it's not considered an A club. Florida pays the worst of any state because they're like, you're just happier in Florida. But Coconuts Comedy Club, when I, you know, like they were the first club to headline me way before I should have been headlining. But I was like, oh, sure, I've got 45 minutes, which I had maybe a strong 20 and I stretched it out. Right. But that's, that you have to faff your way. But that's how you do it, right? Yeah. And so I, you know, they, I, you know, the owner of the club has been friends with my family for years. My family's always had a home on the beaches. So I, you know, for me, it's like a paid vacation and I go out there. I can bring my own opening act. So I'm bringing one of my buddies out with me mm -hmm. and we're just going to go party for two weeks at that club and then do another club. Uh, you Canadians to. love Florida, don't you? Well, Snowbirds, yeah. Well, yeah. if you've ever put, if you've ever been through a Canadian winter, you would understand. Well, I've been through a Chicago, many, many right, Chicago so winters. Very similar, but but very my feeling similar. is, you know, you get your win. Of course, people from Winnipeg and Calgary, Calgary, yeah, Calgary, Alberta, yeah. Yeah, they want to like get out of there as soon as you can. Yeah. Yeah, I can't deal with that harsh winter now. I mean, in the UK now, the last couple of years has actually been getting snowed. I've been snowed in uh, over the Christmas holidays, uh, and it's like, oh my god! And they, of course, they lose their minds because they haven't, you know, snow plows or sanding machines. They're like, I'm like, okay. We're now on year four of you guys getting snowed in. How about you get some shit? Start building some tractors and salt machines. Hello, why is the airport closing? Because you can't shovel the runway? Right. Hello, four years now. What part of this are you not getting? Right. You know, right. get on right. it, people. So I love it. Yeah, the entire world. Um, I had a great time. 
this is the way we're going to end it. I'm going to end it with this noise going on over here. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Um, you're really inspiring. <laughs> you're really, really inspiring. And I love, I love your, your, your passion, especially when you get all pissed off. <laughs> you know? Is that part of your... Happens. Well, you, depends. Yeah, I guess. Well, it's, I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, on stage, there's certain things where I'm like, ah! You know, but yeah, that's where I use my physicality because I am so tiny and you know, like, wave my arms and legs in the air and whatever. People like to watch me move. <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of your voice, I'm right? animated. Yeah, I'm very animated. When I realized my physicality, I mean, it was one thing to just stand up and do stand-up. Right. But then when I started acting out my bits, mm -hmm. it went a completely new level. And that's... Where did you realize that? Like, where did you pick up on, like, I'm going to animate my bits, which is, sounds like such a sexy thing. It was right when I moved to L.A. Uh -huh. and the whole white girl, black girl thing right. and certain bits I started doing and I was like, Mah. The pole dance thing yeah. with your mic, right. the mic stand. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, any of that, it was, it just took them all to a new level. And, and like I said, I grew up with watching those uh, comedians that were so physical. Right. And I, you know, I mean, I do have aches and pains, but I, but, and I used to stand on a chair, now it's, it's too, uh, it's too hard for me to stand. So what I do is I like to get a box or an extra bit of staging. Then I have a, a different step stool that literally just, I can lean back and I'm sitting on the step stool and that way I can kick my legs up when I'm talking and right. animate and then oh, I can stand good. up and walk around Look and then that. sit. And I love that. And it, and I can do a longer set without sweating and achy and my hips going to give out. Um, I, I love, I love, I love my show right now. It's, it's, you, oh, that's so good to hear. You're, but what, what's, again, what's happening is you're, uh, you're evolving. Yeah. And you're physically evolving, mm -hmm. and you're doing what it is that you need to do. You're doing what it is that you need to do. That's huge. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. And I, you know, I like it's one of the things that I think makes my people cry. You know, the best compliments I've had is people are like, you're like a little mini Bette Midler. Mm -hmm. You know, and I love her. I mean, she's like trifecta with the singing, acting, dancing. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I can't sing more shit, but, um, but just the fact that I, I've always idolized her. I think she's amazing. And to be even like, well, associated with her, that, you know, and I've never, you know, I don't do it intentionally. I am me. I do what I do. But um, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Well, it's also your red hair, too. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to this. Well. They're all nice and um, easy. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for coming over. Fun. Today's episode was sponsored by Modern Drunkard Magazine. For more information, go to www.moderndrunkardmagazine.com. Standing up for your right to get falling down drunk since 1996. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I am Ian Foley, and this is Mama Mel. You can save a lot of money by walking face first into a spider web every morning instead of buying coffee. Prepare for enlightenment so bright it will sunburn your soul with Mama Mel. If your car breaks down in an unfamiliar area at night when it's dark and you can't tell what kind of neighborhood you're in, check out the utility poles. If a pole has flowers and teddy bears nailed to it, feel free to get out and find yourself some help. The coast is clear, because whoever caused the need for that shrine is busy doing something stupid and senseless somewhere else. If the poles are bare, proceed with caution. It might be safe, or it could be that not only does that neighborhood have a murderer running around, it's also got a teddy bear and a flower thief. I guess my best advice would be to have a cell phone and a GPS so you don't break down in an unfamiliar area. 
at night when it's dark. I worry about you. 